Okay, let's dive in here. So we are in the book of Philippians. We're in the book of Philippians. If you have not been with us, just so you know, we are going through verse by verse the book of Philippians. We're actually coming down the stretch. So we have only two more um, two more times we're going to gather and go through uh, Philippians. And Philippians is a very practical book, and you've heard us say this over and over again. The kind of two themes of Philippians is real joy. We want to have real joy, and then another theme of Philippians is right thinking, and they're kind of two sides of the same coin. You can't have real joy without right thinking, and you're not going to have right thinking without real joy. So just kind of for a, uh, uh, just kind of review, do a quick review. Chapter 1, kind of the highlight of chapter 1 was that Jesus Christ is our life, and that was summed up in the verse to live as Christ and to die as gain. Then in chapter 2, there was a highlight where we look at in Jesus Christ, and it was Jesus Christ is our pattern. And that was summed up where it says, let this mind be in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What mind was he talking about? Well, a mind of being a humble servant. A mind of being a humble servant who puts others first. And then in chapter 3, the highlight was Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. That was summed up in verse 9. Um, where Paul is talking about being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then in chapter 4, I'd say the highlight of chapter 4 is Christ is our sufficiency. Or another way we could write that or say that is Jesus is enough. And that is summed up in a verse that we're going to talk briefly about, which is verse 13 which is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, and we're going to pick up today, actually we're going to read verse 8. Uh, I know Daniel talked uh, and taught verse 8 last week, but just for context sake, we're going we're to hang out in verse 10 through 13, but I'm going to start in verse 8, and then we're going to look at verses 10 through 13 today in Philippians chapter 4. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So we see the word think, we see the word practice. And the God of peace, remember that word, will be with you. Verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, let me just sum this verse up really quickly. What happened was the Philippians renewed their financial commitment to Paul. They loved Paul. Paul loved them. Philipp, the Philippians were Paul's sort of breath of fresh air church. He wrote this letter to the Philippians, and it wasn't a letter that was a, 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 a result of some conflict that he was trying to solve. It was just, hey, I love you. I want to encourage you, um, which is different than most of his other letters to some other churches. So, like, he was writing to the Corinthians, and he had, like, sons sleeping with moms. And he's like, you can't do that. I need to write you and tell you, like, your living is messed up. This is not the case 
with the Philippians. And he's saying, hey, I, I love you guys. I know you love me. Thank you for taking care of me. And then he goes on to verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need. Now, if you're writing your Bibles, get your pens out because this is it. Like, this is the, the thing you underlined today. For I have learned, in whatever situation I am, to be content. That is our word of the day today. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, before I go to 13, we're going to stop right there, and we're going to look at this. So the key word of the day is content or contentment. One seminary professor gave his definition of contentment, and he said it is this. It is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord at his disposal. Now, do not misread or put words in places that they don't belong. I did not say complacent. I said contentment. Like, there is a good and a healthy and a godly ambition and drive that we should all have. In this church right now, we have business owners, we have doctors, we have dentists, we have financial advisors. And here's the deal. If, if you get complacent, you're going to lose your job or you're going to lose your practice and you're going to cost not just yourself your job, you're going to cost other people their job and their money. So don't read Philippians and see that word content and contentment and misinterpret it for complacent contentment so sadly and honestly too many of us are not content and why like, what is below the waterline of our discontentment? And I would argue it's some pretty nasty stuff. So maybe if I could suggest some reasons for our discontentment. Could it be ingratitude? Like, we are not grateful for what God has provided us. So we're not content. Could it be arrogance? Like, like, we believe that we have a better plan for our lives than what God has. Like, we want to be little sovereigns roaming the earth, making decisions for ourselves because we know better than God. Could it be lust? And greed. I'm not even talking in a sexual sense. I'm talking like, do we have this attitude of I just want more? Like, I got to have more. I deserve more. I want more. I want this too. I know, God, you gave me this, but I want this too. 
let that be the root of our discontentment? Could it be entitlement? Like, do we actually believe that God owes us more than what he's already given us? Like, do we actually believe that God should do something that he's not already done for us? Like, do we get in our mind, man, we deserve, I deserve more. And I would argue, yes. So if that is you and you think, man, I deserve more, you're kind of right. Because what Romans would teach us is that what we are entitled to is death and eternal separation from God, but, but, but we, we don't get that. Like, we, we are entitled to something. But God in his grace allowed us to wake up this morning and give us, gave us another chance at him. God's pretty good to us, right? So if it's not entitlement, could it be straight up idolatry? Like always, the sin beneath the sin is idolatry. Like we always want or believe in something more than we want or believe in God when we are discontent. And the Bible calls that idolatry. Um, so before we go further, I, I need to say this. Being discontent is a universal issue like it's not prejudice it's not prejudice to the socio-economical uh, uh, economically disadvantaged it's not prejudice to the socio-economically advantaged it's, it's a universal problem you and I have both seen people from any and all walks of life who are not content and you and I have seen people from any and all walks of life who are content Here is the pattern. When we are discontent, here's what we will do. We will seek things that we should not be seeking. We will seek things that we should not be seeking. We will seek things that God does, does not want us to seek. And he warns us of this all throughout scripture. From the Old Testament, a couple Old Testament passages. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23. I'll start in verse 3. And just says to not, so it's, it's not terribly weird, but if you just read this on its face, you think, oh, that, that seems a little bit weird, but it's really not. So it says, no Ammonite or Moabite. If you just get that in your mind, that that is just a picture of the world. Those people groups are a picture of people who are not God's chosen. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Why? Because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way. 
when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Baor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned a curse into a blessing for you because he loved you. Still does that today. Because of all this, this is the conclusion in verse 6. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all of your days forever. Do not seek their peace or their prosperity. Notice what it says. There. Talking about who? Ammonites, Moabites. Picture of the world. Here's the point. The world has a different concept of peace and prosperity than we have. And when we're discontent, what happens? We end up seeking the world's way of peace and prosperity. And we get in trouble. Another example of this in Ezra chapter 9. I'll give you a little bit of the context here. Another Old Testament book so you have this city it's been rebuilt after babylonian captivity and if you ever read or know of babylon that's another picture of the world that's kind of like the ultra oppressors of god's people it's a picture of the world he says and now oh our god what shall we say after this for we have forsaken your commandments which you commanded by your servants the prophets saying the land that you are entering to take possession of it as a land impure with the impurity of the people of the lands, with their abominations that they filled from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons. It's a whole sermon in and of itself. But look at the next sentence. And never seek their peace or prosperity. Why? That you may be strong. And eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. So you see the same sentence, nor seek their peace or prosperity. Why? That you may be strong. Think of those strength and an inheritance to your kids. So listen, in this room, like right now, in this room are people who are weak. And you're weak in your integrity. And you're weak in your character. And you're weak emotionally and mentally. And you're weak physically. And you're weak because you're seeking their peace and their prosperity. you're discontent and here's the deal you are going to leave an inheritance for your kids or for the next generation you're going to leave an inheritance don't think monetarily with me think about this you're going to leave an inheritance and I know we have a lot of young parents in here and I, mean, I am talking to you but I'm talking about even if you're not a parent you're going to leave an inheritance for the next generation will your kids be strong Will they understand contentment? Will they know the peace of God? Or is the inheritance you are going to leave 
divided and broken family. Because we're seeking their peace and their prosperity. Is the inheritance that you're going to leave, like another generation of slaves, like in debt to uh, up to our eyeballs, right? Because we're seeking their peace and their prosperity. We're going to leave an inheritance. We're going to leave an inheritance of kids who are just always chasing stuff. Kids who live stressed out, never knowing the peace of God. We can leave that inheritance. We're going to leave one. And God says, don't. Like, don't ever seek the world's way. Because here's the deal, you can seek it, and I'm just going to be honest with you guys, you may get it. You may get it. But I've seen it, and I'm seeing it more and more every single day. You do it, and you can get it, and then at the end, you know what it is? You're going to be empty, you're going to be hungry, you're going to be weak. You're going to look back on the 40 years you spent chasing their peace and prosperity and go, Brad, that's like some Old Testament stuff. Like, come on, give me, give me some New Testament stuff. Well, lucky for you, God is not an author of confusion, and he's very consistent all throughout Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he talks about this again. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'll start in verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's this book, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. We don't have time for this, but God, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, that's what we call in this church prosperity gospel. It's garbage. Godliness is not a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now here we go. Look at verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now, God's word says godliness with contentment is great gain. But I want you to look at verse 9 there in Timothy. It says, those who desire to be rich. Now listen to me. I'm talking to, I'm talking to everybody. Let me hone in on the college kids just for a minute. Um, like, did you know it's okay to be rich? 
like a, like contrary to what your college professors are, are, are saying, like the rich people aren't automatically the bad guy. It's okay to be rich. The issue here is those who desire to be rich. And did you know some of the heroes of the faith were rich? Some of the great heroes of the faith were rich. I'm telling you that to tell you this. The issue is not what you have and what you don't have. The issue is, can you be content with what God supplies you? That's always the question. So primarily, here's what it boils down to. Do you believe God? Are you faithful? So Adam and Eve, right? So stay with me here. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 2. Here they are. They're in this garden, right? And Genesis chapter 2 is man completely content with where God has him. Like completely content, walking with God, working for God, enjoying God's presence presence and then Genesis 3 happens like what happened in Genesis 3 here's what happened in Genesis 3 you ready discontentment Garden of Eden anybody ever heard of that place Garden of Eden right now I don't know what comes to your mind when you think Garden of Eden but probably for a lot of us it's like okay cute some cute trees right some bunnies hopping and Right? Cute little garden like Phelps Grove or something. Okay? Okay, that is not the Garden of Eden. Just to give you some perspective here. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Imagine with me, if you can, and some of you can because you've been there. Some of you wish you have been there, but you haven't. Um, imagine with me Hawaii. All right, just go there. Even if you haven't been there, just make it up. Hawaii. Now, double that in size. Actually, just a little bit more than double that. We'll just say double it. That's enough. Double that in size. That's how big the Garden of Eden was. Like thousands of trees. And where's Eve hanging out? Discontentment. And here we are thousands of years later. And we still deal with the same issue. Practical example. Um, raise your hand if you drove to church this morning. Okay, good. Um, so, Hill City Church, here's the deal. All of us drove by multiple beautiful church buildings on the way to this hotel space this morning to come to church. All of us. Like here we are two weeks in a row. We got to call an audible and our kids got to sit with us in here. And I get it, it's tough. But praise God he has given us this space. Praise God he has given If we had looked back a year ago. And God would have said, you're going to have this space 
for you and all your kids, and there are going to be 400 plus people. Meet, we would have all done backflips. Praise God, we have this space. And we are going to be faithful in this space. And we are going to be content with this space. Are we going to be here forever? No. But we are going to be faithful and we are going to be content and grateful for the space God has given us. Married people, are you content? You content with your spouse? You content in your relationship with your spouse? Now, some of you have grown complacent within your relationship with your spouse. Are you emotionally connecting to someone other than your spouse? Like, are you entertaining thoughts that you should not be entertaining? Here's the thing about this book of Philippians and about God and how awesome he is. This book is about right thinking. You know where discontentment starts? In your mind. Discontentment starts in your mind. No one wakes up on a Tuesday and says, you know what, I think it's going to be a great day to wreck my life. I want to set out to do that. Starts here. Man, but what do we do? Like when those when those thoughts come. Well, number one, you go to Philippians 4 8, which we read, it tells you what to think about. So when you have those thoughts and it doesn't fit that bill from Philippians 4 8, well then what do you do? Well, God doesn't leave us hanging. He tells us what to do. Second Corinthians, Paul wrote this. It's chapter 10, verse 4, 4 and 5. I don't have it up there. Just listen to this. It's a very like a, this is a soul, this is like a warrior's verbiage here. Okay? And we're going to talk about thoughts. Are you ready for this? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And here we go. And we are taking Every thought captive. Listen, when junk gets up here that doesn't fit the bill of Philippians 4.8, those things that are good, those things that are true, those things that are honest, those things that are just, those things that are worthy of praise, when things are up here that, and they don't fit that bill, you got to capture them like a soldier, like you're in a fight. Or they'll end up destroying you. Right thinking. So we've got a lot of young people here, a lot of young married people, a lot of young college students. Um, I just, I just want to warn you, okay? Um, so, like, we're guilty. You're guilty. And you're guilty of wanting what your parents and grandparents have, but you want it in like three weeks and it took them 40 years. And in your mind, you're like, no, I deserve that. I should have that. So what happens, it starts really small and you let this little thing that's plastic, right? And it's like, oh, this is no big deal because some idiot on the radio told me I need to do this to build my credit. So you go get this little thing and what, what's $2,000, right? 
but I'm going to go get some stuff because I want to chase their prosperity. And it starts there. And you know what's crazy is they keep sending those to you in the mail. You start spending money that's not even yours because you want their prosperity. And then it doesn't stop there because then it's like, man, I, I deserve, I want this car. Because like mine makes a noise. And I want one that doesn't make a noise. So you go get this $25,000, $30,000 vehicle you think you had to have, and then all of a sudden now you're triple what you make in a year in debt. Why? Because you want what took your grandma and grandpa 50 years to get, you want in five days. Because you're not content. Young Marys, that's a big one. Some of you in this right now. Like you, you go to your friend's house, your other young married friend's house, right? And you leave your apartment to go to your other young married friend's house, like with more rooms and with an actual garage. Like they didn't have to walk out in the rain to go to their car. And they have more space and more bedrooms. And then it starts right here in your mind. And you say, I want this, and I deserve this too. We're in the same phase of life as them. Why I should have the same house that they have. And you're discontent. When you're not content... What you are saying is that God is not taking care of me. Man, if I could just, but if you just don't understand, like I'm almost there. Like if I could just have a little bit more money, a little bit more stuff, a little bit more time. great philosopher of the 90s in one of his greatest literary pieces uh, entitled Mo Money, Mo Problems. Um, the line in, in that literary piece, I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. Like you think you know what you want. We think we know what we want. And the Bible says, no, his ways are higher than our ways. And here's the truth, guys. Most of us couldn't handle what we think we want. Most of us couldn't handle it. Like, we couldn't handle that responsibility. It's in Luke chapter 12 that gives us this great truth that everyone to whom much is given of him, much will be required. Listen to me, that's a huge responsibility. And the reality is most of us couldn't handle it. And God knows that. And the reason he knows that is because a lot of us are not faithful with this much, but we think we'd be faithful with this much. We get it backwards. We get above our head in debt. We're seeking their peace. We're seeking their prosperity. And then what happens? We get things out of order. 
We can't be obedient when God calls us. Can't do things in the right order, which is we've got to give to God first. And then when, what happens is now we, we, we get things backwards. We can't give to God first. When we don't do that, that, ma- that makes us an, a disobedient kid. Well, God's not going to bless a disobedient kid, so now we're mad at God because he's not blessing us. When really, if you look at the start of it, it's because we're not faithful. And we're mad at God thinking it's him when really it's us not being faithful. Because we're not content. Man, Brad, that's, that's hard. I know. don't wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to be content today. It doesn't work that way. That would be the equivalent of me saying, you know what, I'm going to play the piano today. Another key word in the passage we read is mentioned twice. Paul says, I have learned contentment. Contentment is learned. Well, how do we learn it? Well, here's how I would argue this. I would argue we learn contentment. We learn contentment the same way we learn algebra or the same way we learn piano or the same way we learn basketball. It's instructed and it is practiced. And then it is instructed and then it is practiced and it is instructed and it is practiced. And just like any skill, when we quit practicing it, what happens? We get worse at it. We just don't have this. We, we just don't have it like we used to, because we quit practicing. Parents, are you teaching your kids contentment? Took the boys to a baseball game when it wasn't raining. Um, Watch the Bears pl- play the Tigers, right? So you, you, we go to Hammonds Field where they play. Um, they do this on purpose, and I hate it, and I would tell them about it if I could ever. But, but they put the playground, like right there when you're walking. Down. I didn't go to a baseball game to play on a playground, right? But in the middle, I'm, I'm studying this. I knew what I was going to be teaching. I'm like, okay, I have this opportunity. I'll teach my kids contentment. So I take Brody Breck, and we go to the baseball game, right? Forget that it was beautiful weather. Forget that I spent $4.5 on a Dixie cup of Sprite, Okay. Another $7 on seven peanuts. Forget all that. That doesn't matter. Forget that we saw a great baseball game. I want to play on the playground. <laughs> Give it to that playground. Now, some of you are going to think I'm a jerk. I did not let them play on that playground. I'm trying, and I'm reasoning with a six-year-old. Buddy, we're at a great baseball game. Can we just be happy about this? Can we just enjoy this? was an opportunity to teach contentment. Did he get it? Is he completely content? Oh, yeah, he's a perfect kid. Has been for seven straight days now. No, we're going to continue to teach it. Continue to teach contentment, instruction, and practice. You think, Brad, that's great. How does an adult learn contentment? I'll give you an example. Do you know 17 people from this church are getting ready to take a trip where they're going to learn contentment? We have 17 people. We're going to go to Haiti on a mission trip. Now, they, we all kind of think we're going there to spread the gospel, 
and we're going to reach these Haitians and love on them. True, true, true. But we're going to go learn contentment. You know why? Because we're going to get hung up at an airport, and it's going to stink. And then our tire's probably going to go flat on a van in Haiti, and we can't call Uber and be picked up in 45 minutes and get back to our hotel. Like, we are going to have a lesson in contentment. Side note, those 17 people are trying to raise money to get on this trip to Haiti. If any of you who are not going to Haiti feel so led to help, do that. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and of hunger and abundance and need. And then he goes to verse 13. Do you get the context of Philippians 4.13 a little better now? And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen to me. This verse has been the Christian four-leaf clover for way too long. College students, I know finals are coming. And I'm telling you, if, if you've messed around all semester, that verse ain't helping you next week. Like this verse not just encompasses this idea of contentment, and we can be content through Christ who strengthens us, but it really encompasses the whole book. So stay with me as I sort of revert. Let's work backwards through this whole book of Philippians. I can be content in any circumstance through Christ who gives me strength to be content. I know you want to be a married single person. I get it. I know, young married, you want a baby. I get it. But through Christ who gives you strength, you can be content in this season of life. Chapter 4, what we talked about last week. I can quit looking in the rear view of my life and letting all my mistakes paralyze me. Like, I can look forward. And I can do that through Christ who gives me strength to do that. Chapter 3, I can press on toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, I know ministry at a church plant stinks most of the time. It's hard. I know you're volunteering 20, 30, 40 hours a week, and you work 20 or 30, 40 hours a week. I get that, but you can press on through Christ who gives you strength to press on. Chapter 3, I can count everything as a loss. I can look at everything in my life and say, that is dung, that is crap compared to knowing Jesus and I can come to that conclusion through Christ who gives me strength to come to that conclusion chapter 3 I can quit trying to count on my own righteousness through Christ who gives me strength to quit counting on my own righteousness like rest Christian rest quit trying to get your own righteousness and you can do that only through Christ who gives you strength to do that. Chapter 2. I can be like Epaphroditus. And be willing to give my life to the work of the Lord and nearly die. And I can only do that through Christ who will give me strength to do that. When everybody else around me says you're crazy. 
You're stupid for going to Sudan. You're stupid for going to the Middle East. You can do it because you know God called you to do it, and you can do it through Christ who gives you strength to do it. Chapter 2, I can be a light in this world through Christ who gives me strength to do it. I can share the gospel. Wherever I am, I can share the gospel through Christ who gives me strength to do it. And I know you're scared to death to do it. I know somebody's going to look at you and say, dude, you're stupid. Like, this is fairy tale you're telling me here. But you can still share the gospel through Christ who will give you strength to share the gospel. Chapter 2, I can be like Jesus. I can take the form of a servant, empty myself, count others more significant than myself, and I can only do that through Christ who gives me strength to do that. And chapter 1, I can look at my life and I can conclude that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I can only come to that conclusion through Christ who gives me strength to come to that conclusion. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It has nothing to do with making a jump shot. And some of you aren't content because Christ isn't your life. And you're chasing your tail because you're pursuing their peace and their prosperity. C.S. Lewis says this, and I'd argue he says this about us and how we seek their peace and their prosperity. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, their peace and their prosperity. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Are you content? Now listen, this is, some of us do this, I do, I'm guilty. What I'm getting ready to tell you, I am guilty of, but right now I'm going to ask us to step out of what I am guilty. Here's what I'm guilty of. When Daniel uh, is preaching, right, in my mind too often is, oh, that person sitting over here, I hope they got that. Oh, this person over here, man, I, I hope that spoke to them. Here's what I want to ask you to do right now. I'm going to ask some questions. And this is like look in the mirror time. Like I don't want you to think about your spouse. I don't want you to think about your friend. I don't want you to think about your kids. I want you to think about you. Are you content? And if you're not, in what areas of your life are you discontent? Like what thing or what person, if you had it, do you believe would make you content? Is it a relationship? Is it a job? Whatever it is, it's a lie. And whatever it is, you just named your God. What activities throw fuel on the fire of your discontentment? 
and I'm not trying to be legalist here. I'm going to be very practical. Are there TV shows you're watching? Listen, can we just be honest? What You know what marketing is? It's uh, the best possible way to get the person that sees this to become discontent so they will buy what I want them to buy. Is it websites you're going to? Is it people you're hanging out with causing you to be discontent? And here's what I'd say. Ultimately, discontentment is a result of forgetting the gospel. We're going to receive communion. And here's what I would ask. I would ask all of us to take an attitude of repentance this morning. Of like, let's repent of where we have been discontent. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to teach us contentment. Let's pray.